Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jinx Monsoon is a comedian and singer best known for becoming the first performer to win two seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race, first in season five in 2013, followed by the all-winner All-Star Edition in 2022, where she was crowned Queen of All Queens. She began touring annually over the holidays in 2018 with fellow Drag Race star Ben De La Creme, and you can watch the Jinx and De La holiday special on Hulu. Jinx has released multiple albums, been the subject of two documentaries, and has appeared on TV shows such as Blue Bloods and AJ and the Queen. In 2022, Jinx also filmed her first solo comedy special for Comedy Dynamics at the Tribeca Film Festival, and is the creator, writer, and star of the sketch comedy series Sketchy Queens, debuting on WOW Presents Plus in September 2022. Jinx joined me over Zoom to talk about the evolution of her life and career and what comes next. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! You and I both have birthdays coming up. Yours is on the 18th, mine is on the 26th, eight days and 16 years apart. Yeah, so you're a Libra. Do you wish you were a Virgo? <laughs> Funny you should ask that because I was born three weeks past my due date. So I guess I should oh, have been yeah? a Virgo. I was born a week past my due date, but I still would have been a Virgo. I was meant to be a Virgo, and I'm quite the Virgo. I don't know how much stock you put in all of that, but as far as Virgos go, I'm quite Virgo-y. <laughs> Do you have any uh, big plans for this birthday? No, actually, my plans for this birthday. Um, so in, I produce, uh, I co-produce um, a cabaret series in Portland um, with my friend Katya in Portland. And Katya decided that she was going to have a Jinx Monsoon themed um, show the day before my birthday, not even knowing I was going to be in town. So I'm going to go in disguise and watch all these (laughs) Portland performers perform as me Mm -hmm. the night before my birthday. Then on the day of my birthday, I have a house in Portland. Um, My plan is to set up on my couch, Jabba the Hutt style, stay in one place all day. (laughs) And if anyone wants to come through, they can, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to move. They have to come pay homage to me at my house. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'll, I'll order food. I'll set up a buffet, you know, like a a tasting, (laughs) a tasting buffet. Um, But I plan on just being on my couch all day long because I have been on the go for the last two months and all I want to do on my birthday is sit and play video games and people can come visit me. Um, my friend Emerald has agreed to wear a gold bikini and lay at my feet. So, <laughs> a, la, a la Princess Leia, yes. Okay. Yeah, the day's already shaping up. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's befitting the queen of all queens though, isn't it? Yeah. You, are you really a queen if you can't just stay in one place and... <laughs> 
<laughs> just job of the hut your way through mm-hmm. life. I'm more it, like a queen ant. <laughs> for someone who started performing drag at 14 slash 15 and was on, <laughs> was on RuPaul's Drag Race by 24, I mean, how could there be a too soon for you, right, Chanks? Are you reading my Wikipedia? Listen, <laughs> the reason why it's 14 slash 15 is because I literally can't remember. Um, <laughs> I know I did some drag before mm. I was doing drag. You know, like okay. I, I played some drag roles in ballet, um, as in I played the female roles. I, I played the female c- comic relief roles in ballet a few times. And that was technically my first drag. But I think yeah. of myself becoming a drag queen when I started working the nightclubs, which was at 15. <laughs> okay. Well, this, this gets into my, my next question, actually, because, you know, I mentioned we have a 16-year age difference. And so when you were, so to put this in perspective, when you were 24, you were on national TV uh, competing for RuPaul's affections and attentions. <laughs> when I was 24, I'm living in Queens now, but when I was 24, I moved to Seattle. And uh, by the end of my age 24, I started getting involved in comedy, improv, and stand-up at the Comedy Underground. But before that, I was going out dancing uh, two nights a week. I would go out Thursdays to Rebar, which was the disco night. Mm-hmm. And Wednesdays, I would go to Neighbors. And, mm-hmm. that, and that was my first real-life, in-person drag experience for me i was 24 before i experienced that in person what was your what was the first time you experienced drag had you done it had you experienced it before you did it yourself yes um i started spending a lot of time at smirk in portland oregon the sexual minority youth resource center which was um a recreational and resource center for queer youth i don't know what you're laughing at no, um, smirk. I'm, I'm laughing oh, at, the, okay. at the at the pun of it the pun of it all so um we often had open mic nights and drag shows um and when i was new there you know like um the first drag show that happened there i was so excited to see drag for the first time in real life i think i had seen peter page's character emmett do drag on queer as folk and you know the occasional drag queen on queer as folk but Mm. and of course rocky horror which isn't quite drag Mm. but it's drag you know right um so um in any case, I had limited experience. And the first time I saw a drag queen, her name was Abby. She pointed directly at me in the audience. And it was like she was passing the baton. It was like she pointed at me, our mm-hmm. eyes locked. And I swear it was like a month later, I was a drag queen. She passed it on. And I do have a theory that drag can be transmitted like werewolves. Um <laughs> I can't tell you how many one night stands I've had where like two weeks later, he's a drag queen. And I'm like, Oh no, mm. we should, we should wear a condom. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, um, no, always wear condoms and um, take prep, get on prep. Anyway. Um, um, what was the question? Oh, <laughs> that's what I first saw. Right. Drag. You know, you saw drag at 24 and I'm just thinking how much better my life must have been than yours because I saw drag at such an early age. Um, well, I had seen, okay, to be fair, I mean, I had seen 
drag slash trans because for mm-hmm. me growing up generation x those terms were kind of interchangeable in yeah. the in the in the 70s and 80s i mean there was a character on the tv show mash um well, there was I, there was tootsie you know mm-hmm. but those, those or monty python kids in the hall it was always well were, i i think I, I i've spent a lot of time thinking about why you know my friends and i talk all the time about Chandler's dad on Friends. Okay. And how the writers clearly had no idea if the writers didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, um, that's what bugs me the most about that whole storyline in, um, you know, uh, uh, an unantiquated show about white people. But, um, in <laughs> Friends, they really don't ever decide if Chandler's dad is a drag queen or if she is a trans woman. And they never make that distinction. And I think a lot of that ignorance comes from the straight community misinterpreting what they see in our community, where, as we have been talking very loudly and um, in, in just the span of the drag race, um, we've been talking very loudly about how trans um Trans women have always been a part of drag. Trans men have always been a part of drag. They've always been there. It's not a new concept that a trans woman might also do drag. And, um, you know, I think straight people as outsiders looking in, they see trans women and they see drag queens and they just conflate it all together, you know? And I think that, like, I think that, like, um poor conditioning is is a result of straight people trying to understand the queer community from the outside right um so i think that's why maybe those words were interchangeable back then mm-hmm. i mean rupaul supermodel came out when i was in college mm-hmm. and then i i remember going with my friends a year i was a, barely a year out of college when we went to see priscilla queen of the desert mm-hmm. and those kind of real and you know as a cishet white guy that that really kind of opened my eyes to the drag mm-hmm. world and how it was something completely different from trans. I mean, yeah. I, I knew but even, just... even that film mm-hmm. to Wong Fu to Wong Fu really like took it to another level. Priscilla shows you the human, the human beings right. under the drag. And I think to Wong Fu does too. And don't get me wrong. I love to Wong Fu. It's compulsory viewing, you know, <laughs> for every queer person. But what, uh, to Wong Fu further confused the straight world about what drag queens are and and the difference between in being a drag queen and being a trans individual. Um, nowadays, I think we're just realizing that everything, all of it, is so much more fluid than we were told, you know, and the way media's presented it for for so long, and. I'm just kind of thinking, you know, we're talking about when in our lives did we first see drag queens? And then it got me thinking about, you know, the uproar, the, f- the fighting and um, the the very strong opinions on drag queen story hour, you know, drag queens interacting with children. Oh, now, yes. I was just thinking about this last night because my show, my act, my drag persona is not for children. I don't want children at my shows because my shows are filthy <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, when there are children at my shows i point out that your 
your very responsible guardians have their work cut out for you, <laughs> work cut out for them, um, contextualizing everything you see here tonight, you small child. But I've still got a show to do for the rest of the audience that paid to do my show. So please don't repeat anything I say. Now on with the show. When I get fucked in the ass, you know, like, it's like I'm like, I don't want kids at that show. I don't want to do that material in front of kids. But that's that's not to say that drag can't be for kids you know my show isn't but there are drag queens who do shows appropriate for children or there are drag queens who know how to tone it down for kids and there is nothing inherently wrong with a child meeting a drag queen drag is not inherently filthy dirty and sexual you know and i was thinking about this last night in terms of like you know, like parents wanting to ban all interactions with children and drag queens. It's like, but then would you ban all interaction between children and musicians just because some mm. mus- musicians aren't for kids? You know, Snoop Dogg's not for kids, but that doesn't mean like there isn't music at, out there for kids. And when you think of drag as an art form, you can compartmentalize things and say, this kind of drag isn't for kids. But Nina West singing um, a song about pride on Blue's Clues, that absolutely is for kids. And there's nothing inherently about it that makes it not for kids. And the reason why I think people should experience drag even earlier in life is when you meet a drag queen for the first time and when you see drag for the first time, it unlocks that part of your brain that has been locked by society that tells you that gender is binary and gender is um, um dictated to you by your genitalia and gender is finite you know drag teaches us that our gender expression is 100 percent in our control you know and uh i don't know that you asked me anything that led me on that train of thought but it felt very important to share it with you so oh no you it, felt, it, it, it is very important and it reminded me that uh in i think this is in drag becomes him the the docuseries that became a a film mm-hmm. you you mentioned back then you were so much younger but you mentioned you you mentioned comparing drag to commedia del art right mm-hmm. and so with your example of well what would stop people from separating kids from musicians mm-hmm. obviously they should be separating the kids from the clowns <laughs> clowns are Fucking freaks. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? With the, with the, the makeup queens. and the wigs <laughs> and the costumes. And- <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's an abomination, if the, clowns are. If the problem is that the wigs and the makeup and the costumes are going to confuse the kids about what's real, then yeah, why do you have birthday clowns? Why do you have um, Barney the dinosaur? McDonald's. <laughs> like- Ronald McDonald. The the mental gymnastics that um, <laughs> conservative assholes will go through to support their own backwards thinking is really incredible. But then I think about the mental gymnastics I go through to justify ordering Taco Bell a third night this week. Mm. You know, <laughs> we all are assholes. Everyone's an asshole. I mean, isn't the me- isn't the only mental gymnastics to Taco Bell is what time of day it is. <laughs> For me, it's how how recently have I had Taco Bell? <laughs> That's the mental gymnastics. Um, as far as Jinx is concerned, did Jinx arrive to you fully formed or were there stages of evolution to Jinx? Oh, 
Jinx is continually evolving because she's an extension of me. So as I evolve as a human, she evolves, you know, Jinx is a one time when I was on a weird mushroom trip, I, are there any other, (laughs) yeah, there's fun ones. And then there's, you know, I was on a mushroom trip once and I did the thing you're not supposed to do. I went to the bathroom and stared in the mirror. (laughs) And as I stared into the Mm -hmm. mirror, I realized that Jinx is a demon that has been possessing me half my life. Um, (laughs) That's, that's what my mushroom logic told me. But um, what I really feel instead of that, terrifying idea is that jinx is like she is a separate person but she's also an extension of me she's like if i took all of my best and worst qualities and none of the middle ground qualities (laughs) none of the qualities that make me a a functioning human being just Mm -hmm. the best and the worst and put them into a person. That's what Jinx is. You know, I get to get my demons out through Jinx. I get to complain about what I want to complain about, but in a funny way where it may be, maybe me running my mouth might serve a purpose and help some other people in my audience, like see things from a new perspective or from a new point of view. That's my whole, like if I had a mission statement as a comedian, it's like, I guess it's to dismantle the patriarchy through comedy, but, um, (laughs) but it, um, you know, I, I tell dick jokes, but in an effort to help people see the world in a new way, you know, in an effort to show what's universal between any person in my audience and this, you know, alcoholic neurotic narcoleptic drag queen Mm -hmm. and if you can have similarities with me then you can probably have similarities with everyone so don't sell yourself (laughs) short you're not just you're not just a teller of dick jokes you're also a a fabulous singer (laughs) thank you and a singer of dick jokes yes um (laughs) thank you does does what does one come more naturally to you than the other singing versus joke telling well, yeah, because singing singing is something you can do technically right. You know, it, as long as you're doing it technically well, mm-hmm. you you can get away. You, like, you can some, I hate to admit this, but there's songs that I've <laughs> sung. So, <laughs> there's songs I've sung so many times that sometimes I'm on stage singing a song and I might be really selling the song, but in my brain, I'm thinking, Okay, so tonight I've got to do my laundry because if I don't wash my tights tonight, they won't be dry in time for tomorrow. So I've got to get Michael to do that. And and I mean, I catch myself doing this and I quickly say, snap back into it, snap back into it, because that's when I mess up my lyrics is when I, mm. my mind starts to wander. Right. Comedy, my mind can't wander. I'm basically, comedy takes more focus because I have to be fully engaged and connected with the audience to know that the jokes are landing singing. I also like to be fully engaged and connected with the audience, but some parts of the song are like, Oh, this, I just need to sing it technically. Well, verse two is when I really need to connect with them. So right now I could kind of <laughs> just go through the motions. You know? Yeah. But so, yeah. <laughs> so I told you that, you know, in the mid nineties, when I arrived in Seattle, 
there was a weekly drag night at Neighbors. And then there was also drag bingo was already a thing then. Mm. What was what was the drag scene in Seattle like when you came on the scene there a decade later? Oh, well, I mean, what I love about um, drag in Seattle and really entertainment and the arts in Seattle is the wealth of diversity in genre and presentation. You know, <laughs> I, I'm specifying, <laughs> I mean, Seattle's a very white city, don't get me wrong, but the wealth of diversity yes, in yeah. genre and presentation is vast. Because as a drag queen in Seattle, you could, in one week, you could fill your calendar by doing, you know, uh, nightclub work, you know, drag lip sync numbers at the nightclub on Saturday. And then maybe on Wednesday, you're doing burlesque with um, a burlesque troupe. And um, Thursday, you're doing a cabaret. <laughs> you know, like every day of the week, you could be doing a different form of drag because Seattle has it all. And that was really formative to me to meet so many different drag queens making their way as a drag queen, doing completely different things that required completely different skill sets. And it really like taught my brain to think drag, drag is the medium in which we present our talents, but drag isn't really a drag is a talent, of course, but drag isn't, the only talent on display. Like when you see a drag queen who's dancing, she's a dancer, you know, <laughs> she's a dancer in drag. Bianca Del Rio is a stand-up comedian who does it in drag. Um, Adore Delano is a pop singer who does it in drag, you know? And I think my work, what I'm setting out to do as a drag entertainer is to remove the word drag as a qualifier that gets mm. put before our talents. I see oftentimes in the mainstream media, it's like something gets labeled drag this or drag that as a way to other us from other professionals doing the exact same thing we're doing. And the fact that we do it in drag doesn't mean that we're doing it at any less of a level as any other person, you know, like right. we're not doing any less acting. We're not telling any less jokes, you know? <laughs> so. <clears throat> sure. Like uh, this pop just popped in my head. Like Paul Rubens, when Paul Rubens performs as Pee Wee Herman, people don't say, Oh, he's performing in. Yeah. Or like, he's or, a drag comedian as or, a way to other him. Or we don't <laughs> say know? Elton John is Reginald performing in drag as Elton John. Exactly. So there's something I just... Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John. <laughs> I just think it's, you know, I don't know that it's a conscious effort on everyone's part, but what it is, is just another way to other queer people and keep queer people kind of, you know, like, okay, we're giving you representation, but don't go crazy. You know, it's still a predominantly straight world, you know? I mean, and that we see that all the time in media. We see that all the time in mainstream media where they want to be with the times and, sh and, and share diverse stories, but also it's been, 
it's been working one way for so long that they're so fucking terrified that if they give us an inch, we'll take a mile. Yeah. Because God forbid queer people be treated equally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I went to to Los Angeles for the Netflix is a joke festival, and there were all these stand-up showcases and then they made specials out of them but the one that was for the lgbtq community they crammed 30 performers into one hour it's like oh you get and you, <laughs> you get three minutes you get, uh, for- all of you get on in here <laughs> exactly and and you see that kind of stuff all the time and it's obviously not just with queer people it's any marginalized community um, mainstream media is in this tricky place where it's trying to get with the picture. It realizes it has to evolve and adapt and it realizes it has to update and be for everyone and, and, you know, show diverse representation and let people from marginalized communities be the ones telling their own stories, i.e., you know, stop casting white white voice actors to voice POC characters. Um, Stop casting cis hetero people to play trans queer people. You know, there we know now that there are enough talented people of color. There are enough talented trans and queer people in the world. Drag race is an example that there are countless talented camera ready people out there and there's no reason to keep using these antiquated ways of doing things so media is trying to catch up to you know where they should be and also fighting it every step of the way (laughs) when you when you auditioned when you auditioned for season five your first victorious romp Mm. through drag race were you able at that time to be making a living full-time as a performer or were you having to pull odd jobs? Um, By the time I auditioned for Drag Race, I was making, I had a part-time job. I worked four hours um, Monday through Friday as a janitor um, in the morning at uh, a, a medical clinic. It was a respite center for people recovering from injury and illness um for for houseless people recovering from injury and illness um and i was the janitor there after having been the janitor at my college for four years it was a very um goodwill hunting situation um but (laughs) so i liked being a janitor it was work i understood um In addition to my part-time job, I worked on the weekends as a drag queen and I was constantly auditioning for theater. So if I had a play, I would take a little time off from drag to, to do my plays. Um, and then drag was always there for me in between, um, other shows that I was doing. So I was just about there. I think one more, one more season and I would have been fully supporting myself as a performer, but. I was just about there. Um, now, of course, I can't. Re- uh, do you know I've thought about it? If I ever stopped performing, I have no other marketable skills. <laughs> I can't even do simple math. I am so scared. It, like, if I ever decided to stop pre- performing for whatever reason, I would literally have to start again at the ground level. I'd be, I'd, I'd probably go back to being a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, I- there's no shame in that game when <laughs> between that and then doing 
the All Winners edition. Did your strategy change for why you decided to do the show the second time around? I know you've cited on other podcasts that you, you know, you want to create the next broad city for yourself in Dola. Mm-hmm. And, and you do have all these things, you know, you have the sketch series is coming out. You filmed mm-hmm. a stand-up special earlier in 2022 at Tribeca. Mm-hmm. So did you view doing the all winter season as a way to like uh, catapult you to a, to a higher level or what was the thing? Well, um, one of the big reasons I and one of my big strategies with All Star Seven is I don't have a single regret of either of my um, either of my seasons of Drag Race. I mean, I have some. <laughs> I'm sure I have some regrets, but the point is, I look back and I watch season five, and there's things I would have done differently today. You know, there's things I'm like, oh, I wish I could have worn a different outfit for this, or oh, I've got the perfect idea for this now, ten years later. <laughs> But I I wouldn't tamper with the past because it got me to where I am right now. What I'll say, though, is season five, I feel like you really got to know Jinx, the artist who does drag. I think you got to know the artist and the human behind the drag persona really, really well. But you didn't get to meet Jinx, the character, as much. And you didn't get to see an example of what I do as an artist, You know, I think the things that stand out from season five, even though, of course, Snatch Game was a huge victory for me. The acting challenges were um, standout moments for me. But I really feel like my audience um, is more is more familiar with my journey and my Mm. story on season five than they are with my talents. So All Star 7, I said, I need to go on. And just really fucking show off what I do in my shows because this is the last time I'm going on drag race and (laughs) I want my audiences next time they see my shows coming through town or they see the holiday tour with Ben de la Kramis coming or they see that I'm doing one of my shows with my music partner or they see that I've got a new show on um, wow presents plus called sketchy Queens. Um, when they see my name, I want them to know, oh, she's probably got a whole musical, a whole musical comedy power hour. Um, and I want them to be excited to see that, you know, because I do feel like after season five, people came to my shows expecting water off the duck's back. And what they got <laughs> instead was, um, you know, an unfiltered, uh, slutty bitch you know that's the jinx character she's an unfiltered slutty bitch and i fucking love her for it and she lets me get my demons out on stage but she's not water off a duck's back and she's not that's me the human that's not the drag persona so i'm excited that i think between season five and all star seven what I'm re- recognizing right now with my audiences who I meet in the meet and greets or who I talk to on Grindr, um, what I'm, what I'm noticing is now after 10 years, I feel like people know me the full package. They know my work as a drag queen. They know who I am as a person. They know I'm still that person. I, um, they might resonate with me as a human being. 
and they might enjoy my my work, but they're separate things, and they're both fully present right now, <laughs> you know. And it, it, I'm I, that's why I feel like even if I had it one, which thank God I did because I'm so excited to have one. Thank you. Um, but even if I had it one, I would say mission accomplished because there's no doubt about what I do as an artist now. You know, I, I, I feel like my audiences come knowing full well what they've got, <laughs> what they've got themselves into. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jinx, thank you for being fully present with me and, uh, <laughs> And allowing my audiences to, to to get to know you a little bit better. I really, I really do appreciate your time and and happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday to you too. <laughs> but can I ask, did you watch episode one of Sketchy Queens? Did you like it? I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like that, that the draft that I, I saw opened with, with you as two different characters, you know? Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I love. So, about so the first thing, work. the first thing you see is, is not Jinx. You see J- Jennifer Tilly and Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I, I, I belong on stage in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. That's where I really thrive. But there's so much you can only do in video work. And more than anything, video work lets me play more of the characters. Uh, <laughs> right. There's the talk show. There's, there's a talk show segment with Trixie Mattel. Yeah. That's got like a between two ferns kind of energy to it. But you're also not Jinx in that either. Yeah. What, I mean, what I love about Sketchy Queens is I think you can see the inspirations we draw from, like Between Two Ferns, Portlandia, um, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave, mm-hmm. the characters, uh, the work of Kate Berlant and John Early, they're mm. big inspirations to us. You know, um, Brandon Rogers is a friend to both me and Liam Krug. Liam Krug, um, co-created the show with me. And they've all been on the podcast, Brandon Rogers. Yeah. Kate, Kate yeah. and John and yeah. So I'm so inspired by these funny people. And so you will definitely pick up on the inspirations. But what I love about Sketchy Queens is it's kind of like saying, hey, you know, these other sources of comedy that you like? What if that same kind of idea was done just unapologetically queer? (laughs) (laughs) And so we take things that I I, I think we take some tropes and some some sketch motifs and some styles that you're already familiar with and show you what it looks like through a queer lens. And that's what I'm happy to do in my work. (laughs) And that also allows you to be inspirational to the next generation of of queer kids who don't realize that that's an option for them. You get to... you get to unlock. Forward. You get to unlock it in their in their heads. So yeah, I, I'm just taking what Varla Jean Merman and Coca Peru and Lady Bunny. I'm just taking what they laid down for me and paint it forward. <laughs> well, congratulations, the Queen of All Thank Queens. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.